My name is Fiona. I'm bringing you the Bible reading for tonight. Matthew chapter 5 we're going to read. <clears throat> Passage John Stott says is the high point of the Sermon on the Mount. This is following on from last Sunday night where we were looking at Romans 12 and the passage about being a community of encouragement together. It brings a certain challenge to us. So Romans chap- uh, Matthew chapter 5 verses 38 to 42. <clears throat> just one section in the Sermon on the Mount but it's that last section which is why Stott calls it the high point. It's entitled in the NIV, An Eye for an Eye. Matthew 5.38 says, You have heard that it was said, Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, your undergarment, your shirt, if you like, then let him have your cloak, your outer garment as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. And the Lord Jesus says, give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. These are the words of the Lord Jesus to his disciples, to those who want to follow him closely. Someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other. Don't retaliate. If someone wants to sue you, take you to court, sue you for your tunic and be generous and give them your outer garment as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, double it. Be generous, go with them two miles. And if someone comes to you and asks to borrow from you, then don't turn them away, but give to that one who is in need. That's our passage for tonight and it's an interesting and a challenging passage and I confess at the beginning I don't think I fully understand it. I'm going to give it a shot but I'm certainly open to being stretched and some of the applications of this passage to us it's a very demanding requirement upon those of us who say Jesus is our Lord. This is what he requires of us. So let's pray and ask the Lord Jesus by his spirit to help us to understand it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that we have the opportunity to be together. We thank you for this magnificent building and the way it's decorated that we get a chance to meet in tonight and to celebrate. We do, Lord, thank you for those who have put it together. And again, I ask that you might bless the ministry of Kids Club, the teachers, the helpers, the kids and the families who will all attend. May your word be embraced and lives changed for eternity. Lord, that's why we're here. For your word to be heard, embraced and lives transformed, changed for eternity. So we ask that you by your Holy Spirit might fill us, might shape us, that we might increasingly be an obedient people. Show us tonight your requirement of how we are to act towards people who are outwardly evil and what your requirement, your response from us is to be. So Lord, grant us understanding, I pray in your name. Amen. Back in the 30s, the 40s, 
of the 20th century, 1932 to be precise, until 1953, there was a king of Saudi Arabia who in his wisdom one time had a lady who came to him demanding, she was now a widow, demanding the death of the man who killed her husband. It was her right to request that? And the king tried to persuade her not to pursue that course of action, but she insisted. Her husband had been killed when another man who had climbed a palm tree was picking dates and he fell from the palm tree and landed on top of her husband, killed him. Not immediately, but eventually. It was an accident, fatal accident. King tried to persuade her not to pursue this course of action, demanding her rights that the man who jumped, fell on her husband and killed him would likewise lose his life. An eye for an eye, life for life. The woman insisted, as I said, so the king then decreed, okay, have it your way, it's your right to insist that I fulfil your rights and demand the death of this husband, but it is my right to decree how he will die. This is how he will die. I want you to take him, the man who fell, tie him to the bottom of the palm tree. I want you to climb the palm tree. And I want you to cast yourself out of the palm tree and by landing on him, you can take his life. She changed her mind. Her attitude resides in all of us. Deep in the heart, the soul of the human person, next slide, Laurel, um, lurks this desire to want to get even. We spoke a little bit about this last week. It's natural, it's in our DNA. It's a result of what happened way back in the Garden of Eden when the way God made us in his image and then when we disobeyed and we, what the Bible calls, fell. We are now below we are separated from the God who made us and we have been broken like Alan Maher said in that DVD clip and we're all broken we're all tarnished and all in such a way that we have this deep desire within us that's why we rejoice in movie heroes that when the, uh, the good guy gets the bad guy we rejoice we have our heroes, the strong individuals, male or female, who don't take nonsense, who speak their mind, who stand up and who um, let justice and righteousness prevail. The reality is all of us are tainted, not just in our conduct, but in our character, on the inside. Uh, we've been flawed by sin. It's not news for most of us. Nor is it news that we're in fact flawed, all of us, and all the people you ever meet, the nice ones and the not nice ones, all people, are tainted by sin in completeness. And by that I don't mean that we are all as bad as we possibly can be. What I do mean is that there's no part of us that is not affected by sin, by this innate selfishness, this orientation to want to preserve or protect ourselves. We have this built-in bias and we can't do anything about it. We are defenceless against it. 
And the Bible certainly says, and because of that, we are therefore under condemnation. God's wrath will come upon us, which is why Jesus came, to deliver us from not just our sinful conduct, the things we do wrong, but from our sinful character, the stuff on the inside, what we think and feel, our attitudes. We may not do some things wrong, but there are plenty of times we think and feel the wrong thing. He came to deliver us from that. And in this passage, the Lord Jesus is talking to people who have put up their hand and said they want to follow him. They want to align their lives with him. The Beatitudes, it's the people who are poor in spirit, the people who mourn over their own sinfulness, the people who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the people who want to be at peace with God. Followers of the Lord Jesus. That's the audience. And he's correcting certainly the tendency of the religious Jews in the ancient world. Deep in the human heart resides this innate, natural response. Somebody does something wrong to us, we retaliate. It's automatic. It's wrong, but it's automatic. And Jesus challenges us as his followers, as people in a right relationship with him, if we go to the next slide, is that that will affect significantly our attitude and our relationships with people we've spoken about this several times that a right relationship with God will have horizontal implications and where there are no horizontal implications or changes then you have to call into question this vertical relationship with God when we know God we are transformed Jesus taught this deliberately intentionally the Jews used to believe very significantly and, and they were God's people and they were to love God with all their heart, soul, mind and strength, the great commandment. Jew came, a Jewish lawyer came to Jesus one day, you know this story, and asked him that question, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? They're testing him. Jesus' answer is very significant for us because Jesus gave what many Jewish people would have given but then he added to it as he often did, does the same in the Lord's Prayer. He adds to a Jewish prayer. And both times he adds, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And the second is like it. The second is equivalent to it. Love your neighbour as yourself. So in the Lord's Prayer, which is all, you know, sanctifying God's name and God's will being done and God's kingdom coming. Jesus adds to that Jewish Kaddish, that Jewish prayer, give us this day our daily bread, forgive us for our sins. He adds the horizontal dimension. Our attitude to people, significant in the eyes of God. And that's why in this passage, the Lord Jesus says, if you're a follower of mine, then the attitude of the scribes and the Pharisees and what they're teaching you, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, verse 38, and tooth for tooth, they had taken that and had distorted it. They had taken it from its rightful context and had applied it to personal vendettas, personal retaliation. The passage Jesus is quoting, an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth, is quoted in the Mosaic Law, in the Law of Moses, book of Exodus, chapter 21, and Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And in all contexts, wherever it's given, it's not given for people. 
It's given to the judges, it's given to the magistrates, it's given to the courts. This was a guideline for how the law was to be applied by the experts. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Not personally, but how the judge was to hand down his ruling. He had to be fair, he had to be equitable, it had to be justice. And it was the judge who was to do this, not the individual and not the family. But the Pharisees had taken it out of the courts and they were applying it to themselves. If you hit me, I have the right to hit you back. If you slap me on the right cheek, I have the right to slap you back. An eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Retaliation is acceptable. And Jesus is saying, you got it totally wrong. In fact, he says, disturbingly, verse 39, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Don't resist an evil person. They're challenging words and they are, have been abused throughout time, misunderstood. Some people take that one phrase of the Lord Jesus, do not resist an evil person. Next slide, thank you. And they've taken it to mean, well therefore we shouldn't have the police, we shouldn't have the army, we shouldn't have government, we shouldn't have capital punishment or any form of punishment it's don't resist an evil person let them get away with it and God will intervene which is a great distortion of biblical truth that's not what God intended at all nor what Jesus means here and in fact in this passage there are some very famous sayings that we quote even in our society today an eye for an eye it's one of them turn the other cheek going the second mile and giving them the shirt off your back they all come from this paragraph this highlight of the Sermon on the Mount. Well, what does Jesus mean? When he says that we are not to resist an evil person, he's not talking about courts, he's not talking about authorities, he's talking about us personally, individually. When someone awful, evil, comes against us, we are not to retaliate. We are not to fight back. If that evil person abuses us, hurts us, speaks bad things about us in some way, then as followers of the Lord Jesus, we have to rise above it. That's a tough call, isn't it? But that's what the Lord Jesus requires. He illustrates it. These illustrations amplify that phrase, do not resist an evil person. Well, what does it mean? He says, if someone, for illustrations, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, Turn to them the other also. Jesus is speaking about his world and his culture and his context. If someone hits you on the right cheek, 90% of the people in the world are right-handed, to hit someone on the right cheek, if someone punches you or if someone swings a punch at you, then it'll be on your left side. Jesus says if they strike you on the right cheek. So he's not talking about someone who punches you He's talking about something much worse. And in Jewish culture, it was the backhanded slap. The right-handed person hits you on that cheek, it's backhanded. The Irish even have a saying today, still today, if you know any Irish people, the back of my hand to you, which is their nice way of saying, you're scum, you're revolting, the back of my hand to you. They're insulting you. So in Jewish context, that's what Jesus is saying. If someone comes to you 
and slaps you on the right cheek, if they insult you, embarrass you publicly, then he says, don't retaliate. Turn to them the other also. It's to be a position of strength, not weakness, but it's to respond with grace, to return good for evil. It's not inviting them to slap it again. I dare you and defy you to do that again. But it's to not retaliate. That's the point. Are you allowed to defend yourself? Well, I think so. You can certainly stop their hand slapping you. But in the process of stopping it, you're not to swing and attack them. Unless, of course, I mean, you think this through. The best form of defence is offence, isn't it? Someone's coming at you, pop them on the nose. and Not retaliating, just defending yourself. You have to work this out. What does Jesus want me to do in this particular situation as his follower? I am not to retaliate, I am to be kind towards the person who has insulted me. It's not the natural response. If a burglar breaks into my house when I get home tonight, if I find someone has broken into my house and I catch them at it, then what am I to do? Well, I suggest you grab them. If they are hungry, give them something to eat. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink as you sit there and wait for the police to come and get them. (laughs) How do you work this out? There is certainly an element of we are to leave it to God. This becomes certainly uncomfortable for us, but Romans 13 says that God has his agents in the world. In this case, it's the human government, it's the police, it is the authorities. And it speaks about how God has appointed these these governing authorities to exercise justice. For the government is God's servant to do you good, Romans chapter 13, verse 4. But if you do wrong, then be afraid, for he doesn't bear the sword for nothing, for he is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. God has put in place means and ways for those who are doing evil to be punished, to be corrected. But we personally, as followers of the Lord Jesus, not to take the matters into our own hands. doesn't mean we have to be doormats. Spurgeon described it as, we have to be like anvils, strong, resilient, but under control. That while evil people are like hammers donging on us, we have to be like anvils, trusting the Lord to work it out. How does that work its way out? If somebody comes and slaps you on the face, insults you, are you to make no response? No, I don't think it means that. It means don't dong them back. Don't retaliate. Correct them by all means. Report them to the authorities. Do what's appropriate. But in terms of your own self, not to be vindictive, not to retaliate. That's the point. Jesus in John chapter 18, when he was slapped, on the face. When he was insulted, what did he do? Well, he didn't retaliate, but he did speak up. He did correct. He challenged the person who slapped him. What evil did I say? Why did you slap me? 
If I said something inappropriate, you tell me what it was. And if I didn't say something inappropriate, then why did you slap me? He confronts and he corrects, he does that, but he doesn't retaliate. Billy Bray was a, a man who was a, a boxer back in the 1800s, 1700s, 1800s, who before he became converted <coughs> was a pretty violent man but who came under the truth of the gospel and becomes a follower of the Lord Jesus, he used to work in the mines. And one guy, who was always his opponent, discovered that he had become a Christian and knew that now Billy Bray couldn't retaliate. So one night in the dark, he came up and he smacked him, punched him, didn't knock him out. And Billy Bray did not retaliate. Knew this truth. Didn't retaliate. And the guy who had punched him inappropriately knew his abilities, knew what he could do in retaliation. took several weeks, but over the process of that time, the Spirit of God convicted this guy and he actually becomes eventually a follower, a Christian, because of what Billy, the change in Billy Bray's life. That's the sort of thing Jesus is calling us as his followers to be like, very different, very unnatural in our responsiveness. The Lord Jesus is saying it's better to receive a second blow on the cheek than to stoop to the same level as the one who attacked you. Now we ought to pause here and just think a little bit more about that. Don't have a lot of time, but basically it's not just about the physical. It's not just the physical slap. It's the, it could be a verbal assault or it may be some sort of other social slight where you've been offended, hurt, insulted by another. Well, the Lord Jesus is saying, don't bear bitterness towards that person. Don't have an attitude in your heart of what goes around comes around. Two can play that game. I'll get even with you. All of those things are the sinful responses that Jesus is saying now is not appropriate for his followers. Lord Jesus goes on and gives a second illustration. He says, not only if someone insults you, but in verse 40, if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, your undergarment, then be generous. Give him your coat as well. I don't fully understand this situation except that it's some sort of, again, a legal situation. Something has gone wrong and the outer coat, the garment, was protected by law, Exodus 22. You couldn't take that. If you took it, you had to give it back that night. If you took it as a surety or something like that, you had to always return it. It was an inconvenience to the other person. But the undergarment, the shirt, the singlet, if you like, was not protected by law. So if somebody sued you, took you to court and sued you for your undergarment, your shirt, if you like, then the attitude of the believer, a follower of the Lord Jesus, is not to be one of defiance or even protecting or fighting in court but rather settle the dispute and if necessary, give up your coat as well. Let God sort out the justice of it or the injustice of it. If you're being taken advantage of, don't retaliate. God step in. Well, eventually. Maybe in this life, most definitely in the next. I think in our society we have forgotten the dilemma of that day of judgment which is coming when we will all have to give an account when all the wrongs will be righted. We have to lift our eyes and to have that perspective always. It's not about getting even. Don't counter sue or anything like that. 
Don't try to get back at them and make them pay. Jesus is saying, hold your possessions loosely. Albert Schweitzer once said, if you own something and you can't give it away, then you don't own it. It owns you. When I first bought my VW car, the number plate was ACA95. A close friend of mine, Michael, in Sydney, when he came around, he saw the car, was looking at it, blah, 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 and we're going through it all, and he got the giggles. I said, what are you laughing at? He said, the number plate. He said, ACA. He said, it's a car. That's all it is. Nice branding, shoe, sue, or new. It's just a car. Never forget, it's just a car. And Michael just wasn't one of those guys who was just saying the words. Uh, a couple of years after that, he got broken into his house. And they took a whole lot. And his attitude was remarkable, challenging for me. He prayed for the people who broke in. He was not miffed. He wasn't upset. He wasn't grieved by the loss of all of his possessions. He's got that bit right in his life. He holds his possessions loosely. Here today. Enjoy them. Gone tomorrow. God gives them for our enjoyment and gives us, them to us as wise stewards. It seems the Lord Jesus is saying a similar sort of thing. If someone wants to sue you and take your tuning. Let them have it. If it's just you we're talking about. We're talking about your responsibilities if it's part of your family or part of your business. That's a different category. This is individual. You personally. It's very challenging. Number three. Someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other, don't retaliate. Someone wants to see you and take your possessions, then let them have it. Give them your cloak. And I know in our church here there are numerous families who, very sadly, marriages that have broken apart, that are heading towards divorce. And one of the things that has uh, amazed me, often it gets ugly. And couples start drawing lines and arguing over possessions and things. One of the things recently this year, a couple of couples have been very generous towards the other partner. That's, that's what you want, then you can have that. Let's try to do this amicably. Marriage is busting apart and all sorts of things going wrong, but not adding to it by fighting over possessions. Third illustration the Lord Jesus gives is um, if someone wants to impose compulsory service upon you, it's a bit archaic for us, it doesn't happen in our society, not directly. If someone, verse 41, if someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. What Jesus is referring to is that In the ancient world, the Persians, who were a pretty creative empire, when they were delivering their mail, they made it a rule that wherever the mailman was going, carrying his heavy sack, that he could second another Persian citizen to assist him in carrying the load for one mile, a thousand steps. The Romans liked that idea and they took it over into their empire. That wherever a Roman citizen or if you were part a citizen of a country that they had conquered, then the Roman soldiers had the right excuse me, to conscript you for one mile, 1,000 steps, that you could carry their burden, their armour, or whatever it was they were carrying, their food supply, 
and you had no choice. So here you are walking along the road, you've got your schedule, you've got your plan, you've got to be a certain place at a certain time and the Roman soldier comes along and says, I want you to carry this. You have no recourse. You have to stop immediately what you are doing. It's highly inconvenient. Your schedule is now out of kilter and that you have to put down your stuff, pick up his burden and you go for one mile and then you can put it down again. No recourse. And Jesus is saying, if someone compels you to go one mile, and don't be like the Jewish people who hated it, as we might, sinfully. They hated it and they hated the Romans for imposing it upon them. I'll carry your burden. I'll count off the steps one to one thousand. But I might drop this thing in the mud and I might break it or rip it or whatever. And when I get to step 1,000, then I'll drop it and I'll go immediately back. Jesus said, don't have that attitude. Have an attitude of rather, I'll take your burden, I'll suffer this inconvenience and I'll do another mile. First mile's for Caesar. I am compelled by Roman law to do it. Second mile is for God because I'm a follower of him and he's concerned about you. And that might lead to some sort of conversation about the Roman soldier asking you, why are you doing this? because my Lord instructed me to do it. When you are forced to do something against your will, Jesus is saying, then wrestle with it, but do it willingly. Go the extra mile. I don't have to, but I will. To be generous, to do more than is required, and to do it gladly. They slap you on the cheek, don't retaliate. They sue you, be generous. If they impose their will upon you, accept it gladly and willingly. Finally, and challengingly for us in our society, verse 42, give to the one who asks you. I wrestle with that. Give to the one who asks you and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Two things to say. Number one, Give to the one who asks you. Jesus does not say, give to the one who is asking you whatever they're asking you for. He doesn't say, give them what they're asking for. But he does say, give to the one who asks you. You may not give them what they're asking for, but you are still to have an attitude of, how can I help you? That's one point. And we need to be wise. We do it here in the church. We have, undoubtedly you have too, we have people come to you and they say, could I have $20 please? Church, it is? No, we won't give you $20. What do you want the $20 for? I need $20 for petrol. Well, that's okay. Let's go to the petrol station. We'll buy you $20 worth of petrol. I need $20 worth of food. That's okay. Let's go buy $20 worth of food. I've got a telephone bill. Well, that's okay. We'll pay that part of the bill for you, but we won't give you the money. What are you going to do with the money? What are you going to spend it on? Alcohol? Smokes? Drugs? Gamble? The weirdest one in 30 years being a pastor. A lady come to me when I was pastor of a church and she asked for, I think it was, I forget the exact figure, but it was a weird amount, $11.87. They're very creative. What do you want $11.87 for? Well, I'm staying with a relative 
and I'm in a caravan and it's $11.87 to fill a gas bottle and my gas bottle has run out. And so I need the gas bottle to be filled so I can cook my meals at night and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that's fine. I'll meet you up at the petrol station where we fill the gas bottle for $11.87. I went up there and I waited several hours. She never showed. She didn't want $11.87 for gas. She's telling me a story. She wanted $11.87 for something else. So you've got to be wise. But at the same time, we have to have an attitude of wanting to give to help, not to be resistant. Give to the one who asks you. Usually in Jesus' world and context, they're not asking you for huge amounts, they're asking for some sort of food or support. And I made uh, a resolution years ago now that whenever I go into the city, I would always take cash with me. I don't have cash anymore, I'm all plastic. But whenever I go into the city, I want to have cash with me. Why? Because someone will come up to you, some homeless or street person who just wants a cup of coffee or a bag of chips or a meal from McDonald's or whatever it is. And unless you have time to go and do it for them, you can't actually give them the money. So I resolved there and then that I will always take some money with me so that I can give to some people. That's just my own personal uh, resolution for me. But this attitude of there are people in great need and we are to be people who are to be open to helping them, not to be resistant. The second thing to note is that the second part of this verse, Jesus says, and don't turn away anyone who wants to borrow from you. And commentators suggest that the context of this is, which is very different to our world, but in the Jewish world, particularly the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 15, every seven years all debts were cancelled. Every seven years. You get a bank loan for $300,000, a mortgage on your house, every seven years debt's cancelled. That's pretty good, isn't it? The repayments are probably out of this world in those seven years, but on the seventh year all debt's cancelled. So now it's the sixth year and you need money. And you go to those who have money. And in the sixth year, they tend to be tight-fisted, not inclined to lend money because you now only have one year to pay it back. And the context culturally, it's almost like the Lord Jesus is saying, don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Even if it's in the sixth year or six months before the end of that year, the seventh year, commences, have an attitude of wanting to support. You may not be able to give them the whole amount, but you can give them some of the amount. Don't turn them away. Help them in some way. That's to be the attitude the Lord Jesus wants in us as his followers. Perhaps that's the context, and if it is, that certainly helps us to make some sense of it. Is this impractical idealism from the Lord Jesus? Well, he is certainly forbidding, personally, taking revenge, of being self-centred, self-focused, self-concerned. He's not encouraging injustice or evil or wickedness in society. Those who are truly righteous, those who follow God and seek to implement his will in the world, will act to decrease evil and promote good. Now, what does it mean? 
Well, the Lord Jesus left us his example. 1 Peter says, To this you have been called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. When they hurled insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. There has to be this God-oriented orientation of our life which has horizontal implications. But when evil people come against us, insulting us, suing us, wanting to do us harm or to abuse us or to impose their will upon us, then the horizontal implication is that we are to trust God and to respond in ways which are appropriate. Not to seek our own rights. Jesus says, when you have been insulted, when they slap your cheek, don't hit back. Be gentle, be gracious. When people are unjust, then give up your right to possessions. Be godly and be generous. When people want to impose their will upon you, then go the extra mile. Be gregarious, friendly, open and be glad. Do it joyfully. And if people come to you who are in need, then we are to be people who are, have an attitude of giving and who want to assist to be good. This reflects our Heavenly Father as he has been good to us in all of our sinfulness, in all of our defiance, so let us be not only to one another, but also to others. Leviticus 19.18, last verse, finished with this. The Lord Jesus undoubtedly knew this scripture and is quoting that at the background of this passage. Leviticus 19.18 says, Do not seek revenge, or bear a grudge against one another, against one of your people, but love your neighbour as yourself. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you came into the world to deal not only with our sin issues, to pay the penalty for our sin that we could be forgiven made right with you Uh, but you came also to change us to transform us that we might be salt and light in this world in this community so Lord help us to respond to the challenge of your words to be a people who don't retaliate but rather who show your love to be a people who are submissive to authority respectful of it but a people who are desirous to show and to demonstrate your care for all sorts of people Lord when we find ourselves this week the recipients of evil help us to respond with grace with righteousness so to that end Lord we cannot do this in our own strength so we ask that your spirit might fill us, might control us and might shape us to be more like the Lord Jesus. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.